Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to pay our respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. Hello and welcome to Reloscope, the Relationship Science Insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions in life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I'm your host, Aditi Kuti. Let's get on with the show. Welcome back to Reloscope, the Relationship Science Insights Podcast. I am here today with Asho Kaloglian, um, who is a practicing psychotherapist from Sydney, so not very far from us. Asho, welcome to the show. Thank you, DC. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm really pleased to have you on. We're going to be talking today about the link between personal growth and romantic compatibility um, in a little more detail. But first, tell the audience a little bit more about yourself. Sure. Um, I have th- this passion about relationships that developed some a few years into um, being in a relationship myself. Uh, so I went into this journey about finding out what does love actually mean and how can you determine if it's going to last or not. So that's how I ended up where I am today. Yeah, that's a pretty um, persisting question, I think, for a lot of people Um, and not an easy one, I expect, to answer unless you do have all of the answers. All of it, but I do have some answers. Yeah, that's how I went, started going to um, uni to get my degree in psychotherapy and to understand relationships better. And I also came across this amazing relationship skills modality that has kind of put the picture as a whole together for me. Awesome. Well, I think we're going to be talking a little bit more about that, if I understand, in this episode today. Um, Really excited. Um, But first, we've got a segment called um, Have You Met Asha Kaloglian, in which I ask you a few questions about yourself. Um, Are you happy to answer them? Sure, absolutely. Fantastic. Uh, What is your favorite book? At the moment, it's Mindsight by Dan Siegel. And um, yeah, I, I love how he talks about seeing things, stepping out and looking in and really connecting with people instead of just glazing over them, um, being able to see what's going on beneath the surface. So yeah, it's, it's all about living mindfully, if you like. Yeah, for sure. No, I love that. I think mindfulness seems to be a surprisingly common theme. When I when I started the show, I didn't expect it to be so prevalent in um, the area of relationships and, and romantic love, but it seems to come up quite a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think living mindfully in, in general is a really good way to approach life because quite often it's so easy to just get caught up in the busyness of life. And not really be thinking about, you know, how does our life look? Is it the way we want it to look? Are we heading somewhere? How are we going to get there? So really um, making mindful decisions on an ongoing basis is a good way to live. Yeah, absolutely. No, I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, what about uh, a favorite movie? 
I'm not really a big movie um, watcher, but the kind of movies that I do like are things like Patch Adams and Goodwill Hunting. They kind of movies that kind of give you an insight into the human psyche and who we are and, you know, what makes us tick and resilience and the overcoming spirit. Those are the kind of things that I love. Yeah. So, I mean, I know you kind of mentioned a theme of movies there, but do you have one in particular that you tend to be drawn to or watch over and over again or wouldn't mind watching a second time? Uh I've, I've watched Dead Poet Society a couple of times, uh, but, yeah, I don't mind watching most of those. Like Beautiful Mind is another one that comes to mind. There isn't one that sticks out, if you like, but yeah. those kind of genre is, is yeah, my favourite pastime, if you like. Yeah, no, no, that's so fine. I think Dead Poet yeah. Society is one of my favourite movies as well, so I totally understand it. Yeah. Uh, do you have a podcast that you have been listening to lately that you've been really into? No. <laughs> no, I hate to say this, but I no, I don't really listen to podcasts and I don't watch movies as, as much. I, yeah, I, I love my work and I'm really busy with my work and that kind of yeah. takes up a lot of my time. And I guess when I'm not working, my um, go-to place is to Go for a walk, um, going for a walk, just doing something active rather than yeah. sitting in front of a screen or a, you know, listening or hearing things. Yeah, no, totally understandable. To each their own, I suppose. Um, uh, you could just say our podcast is your favourite, but, you know. It that's... will be. It will be. <laughs> I definitely um, intend to spend more time listening to your podcast for to sure. find out about it. Yeah. <laughs> For sure, for sure. Um, what about a famous role model that you've looked up to in the past? That, that was a difficult one. I, I, I often think about that, but I quite often I find that human beings are human beings. It doesn't matter how, you know, intelligent, famous or successful they are. I think there, there's this great equalizer that makes us all human. And no, there is there isn't any one particular model that I look up to. Um, but having been a Christian recently, I think Christ will have to be one of my role models. That that wisdom, compassion for people, not being reactive. Um, that's the kind of yeah. That's the kind of person I strive to be, I guess. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I, I would consider that to be a famous role model. He's, he is quite famous after all. <laughs> so yeah. I think that counts. Yeah. Oh, good. There you go. <laughs> um, what about the last course that you completed? Um, that would have to be, oh, there's quite a few. The last one would be. Um, I'm doing my bachelor degree would be the one that I've completed. Since then, I've done lots of mini courses um, to do with psychology and relationships. So that would be one of the big ones that I've completed that I'm really quite proud of. Yeah, yeah. I think a bachelor's degree is a pretty big one. So I'm with you on that. 
Um, cool. So that brings us to the end of that segment. Uh, we've gotten to know you now and we're going to move on, um, to our main topic, which is looking at the link between personal growth and romantic compatibility. Um, I wanted to start off very broadly, uh, our show is about relationships. So how, how do you define a relationship? Well, relationship is when two people are connected and involved in each other's life. There's a lot of people we come across in and out, you know, even at work where you're not really in relationship with, you're more of a, an acquaintance. So I guess I would define a relationship as, as someone that you have a connection with, an ongoing interaction with. Yeah, for sure. And and do you feel like, you know, our show's about romantic relationships. Do you feel like they're the same as they were maybe decades ago? Do they have the same structure or are they perhaps as important as they were decades ago? I think relationships are as important. The structure may have changed somewhat, whereas I think decades ago uh, the man was the, the kind of the head of a relationship. His career was more important. His role was more defined and very separate and different to the woman's role. But I love that in this day and age, there's more equality in um, placing importance on both careers being just as important and sharing, um, you know, roles such as mundane things like housework. And I love that there is a lot more equality. Yeah, for sure. There's like the institution uh, of, of the relationship has changed quite a bit. Um, yes, the yes, definitely. On the same token, though, I, it, I have found that through my work, perhaps I'm more exposed to it than most people would be, that it has also relationships have become somewhat more disposable, that people tend to give up on it way too quickly when there is so much that can be done to make the relationship better over time. And I feel people generally don't have the patience to work through difficult times. Yeah, no, that's definitely um, uh, something that's come up a lot in the show and that people are just more willing to move on um, from relationships that don't suit them or they're just not taking the time to fully understand the relationship that they're in and the person that they've chosen to form a relationship with. Yeah, yeah, that could that that is true. Um, and at the same time, I think expectations have changed a lot. Mm -hmm. And I think the expectations are in in some instances quite unrealistic mm -hmm. of the relationship. Um, I don't know whether. Hollywood has a lot to do with that, where there is this ideal of how a relationship is supposed to play out. And if it doesn't fit in with a person's ideal, they kind to, you know, try to sort of discard it and move on to the next one and then to the next one. And not really realizing that fulfillment actually comes from putting in the hard yard, putting in the work and really being invested in it. Um, there's going to be differences anyway and just kind of trying to understand before being understood yeah. um yeah just putting in the effort to make the relationship better yeah for sure for sure um i guess kind of aligned with that is 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 what is relationship 
compatibility because you were talking, you know, about the media and how it may or may not have a role in in shaping uh, unrealistic expectations about compatibility, uh, about relationships in general. I assume compatibility is definitely a part of that. You know, there's this expectation that you're going to meet the one um, and it's going to be magical and you're going to know instantly that, that, that they're the right person for you. Yeah. I'm glad you actually put it exactly in those words because here's what um, has been found is that falling in love or, you know, being in love with someone does not actually ensure happiness in a relationship. So compatibility is also an interesting topic because you may not have much in common with the other person. But those differences can actually work together to make the relationship better. But what um, is often happening is that when, you know, when the goals don't align or the bigger picture, kind of what they want to accomplish in their lives um, don't necessarily align that they think, oh, you know, the relationship can't work. But in fact, there's all there's always more than one way of looking at things. Um, an example of that would be, um, you know, when one partner works evenings and the other one is, you know, at home in the evenings and they work during the day and they feel like they want their partner to be around all the time. And, you know, the question I would ask is that, you know, what about spending time with your own friends during the time when your partner is not around? And they say, you know, oh, actually, I've never even thought of that because, you know, they're too busy being um, upset that, you know, it's not the way they imagine things were going to be. They're very different. So sometimes when you start looking at things from a different perspective, you can actually make it work. Those differences, you can actually make it work and even begin to enjoy them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I would assume it's, it's, you know, there's those expectations but there's also a difference in the willingness to work um towards finding some sort of balance or some sort of happy um middle ground between because it's like one party can be willing to work through the differences but the other one not so much yeah that's very true and that's often the case when people have had traumatic experiences in life um they will find that, you know, that creative thinking, being able to come up with a solution that's going to be win-win or it's going to be different, um, that is often compromised when people have had traumatic experiences in life, whether that's, you know, in their developmental years or whether it's based on past relationships that haven't worked out quite the way they wanted to work out. So um, those things could be an impediment and that is when, you know, having counseling sessions where someone can talk about different perspectives can be, um, you know, a way of working around it instead of feeling like you're stuck and you can't see a way out of it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. How, I mean, I guess the question that I, I might've unintentionally buried in there is, is how do you actually define relationship compatibility? Cause I feel like we need to know what it is in order to understand how it contributes and also doesn't contribute to our relationships? Um, compatibility. I think it is important to discuss what is really, really important um, as, as soon as it is possible, as soon as you can. 
Because compatibility could be anything from, you know, deciding on whose career will take priority, if one person's career is going to take them to be traveling a lot, you know, how important it is that, you know, your partner doesn't travel or they're with you all the time, or, you know, whether to have children or not to have children or where to live. Um, so it's, I think it's important to communicate what is, you know, deal breaker for you before getting too seriously involved in the relationship. Um, all differences can be worked out if there's a willingness on, you know, at least one party to say, I'm willing to, you know, put aside my ambitions or my goals in order to be with you because you're more important to me than those things are. And on the same token, say that, you know, although I really want to be in a relationship, but my career takes priority at this stage in my life. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. What are the key factors um, that contribute to personal growth within a romantic relationship? Because, you know, we've been talking about how there is a relationship and, and there might be, you know, ways in which two people click, but there's all these external forces that might not necessarily make them good for each other. Yeah, I think self-awareness would have to be one of the big ones when it comes to personal development. You, the person first needs to be aware that they do need to, um, you know, there's always room for improvement. It's really difficult um, to be with someone who feels that there's nothing wrong with them. Whenever things go wrong, it's always the other person's fault. So, um, you know, and always feeling like their way is the right way and the other way is the wrong way. So I think it begins with having enough self-awareness to realize that, you know, I'm not perfect. Um, there's so much room for improvement. I do want to improve and I welcome feedback instead of getting upset when someone says, you know, you do this wrong or you shouldn't do that or, you know, you're wrong in this matter. Um, instead of getting upset about about it, trying to find out, you know, why do they feel it's wrong? What can I do to improve? Or how can I, you know, view or do things differently? So, yes, I would say self-awareness is the beginning of yeah. personal growth. Yeah, for sure. What, what are kind of the – are there ways that a couple can grow – together um so like engage in personal growth together as opposed to doing their own thing separately and and making compromises to support each other doing that yeah absolutely i think um being open to feedback from each other i think that's the that's is like actually the that would be the ideal um to say that you know where instead of critical and judgmental, you know, always criticizing each other to actually offer feedback. It's like, you know, when you do this a certain way, this is how it makes me feel. And I would, you know, appreciate it if you did it this way instead, or if you could communicate that way instead and always offering each other feedback and welcoming feedback. It's like say, inviting the other person to say, if there is something that I do that really upsets you, please do let me know because I do want to grow. I do want to learn. I do want to be, um, you know, in a healthier relationship with you. And just finding that middle ground, I think that would be the ideal um, to but two people contributing to each other's growth. Would, that would be the high, 
healthiest way to do it. Yeah, for sure. What are some of the kind of obstacles? Um, it, what are some of the obstacles that couples might face when doing that? I think being offended. <laughs> you know, if someone's easily offended or um, they don't know a healthy way of disagreeing, where they feel, um, you know, if the other person can't see it their way, then, you know, that's unacceptable. That you know, this is how it's always been done. This is how I've always done it. And, you know, being really inflexible. And again, I have to mention that, you know, as a, um, you know, as a psychotherapist, trauma does play a huge part in that, is that when a person has experienced a lot of trauma, they do tend to be more rigid and more reactive. And it's very important when the other partner recognizes that, to say that, you know, it would be good to actually talk through some of these things with someone who is not emotionally involved in a situation because we might not always feel comfortable talking about everything. And to have someone outside the situation, you know, the the relationship to talk to those things about would be ideal. So, yeah, trauma can make cause a person to be more rigid and inflexible and... Um, reactive um so it's important to recognize those attributes as trauma and to help the person overcome them instead of you know just saying they're impossible to live with and you know not not understanding why they are the way that they are yeah i feel like that also comes back down to self-awareness which is what you mentioned as one of the most important um aspects to develop um uh within yourself when entering a relationship. How, how do you, are there any kind of specific like traits or behaviors in a person that tend to support personal growth in a relationship? Like what, what can we do to be supportive of our partner? I know that, you know, we've, we've talked about listening and being open to feedback, but is there anything else? I think compassion, um, you know, as opposed to it's so easy to get judgmental and critical and offensive and defensive um, when things get a bit heated. I think um, when you approach the relationship as being the most important thing, and doing things and saying things that are going to nurture the relationship instead of cause it to deteriorate, that would be a really good start in, um, you know, being supportive of personal growth in our partners and in ourselves. It's, it's to take the higher ground, not to get too emotionally reactive, to step back and think about things and say, how can I do this differently so that it doesn't lead to the same argument again? We've done, we've been down this road before. How can we do this better? Um, yeah, being reflective about what's what's working, what's not working, and think about how can it, how can it be done differently? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I know, like we we've now been talking about a lot of ways that you can kind of grow like experience personal growth and and work towards personal growth while also remaining committed to each other part of which is um setting those boundaries right at the beginning and knowing what you can do and can't do but what you know at what point do you 
how do you recognize if your personal growth journeys are getting in the way of a relationship? What are the warning signs of that um, kind of that romantic link kind of fraying for whatever reason um, due to our own personal ambitions? Well, the thing is that when one person in the relationship has the emotional maturity, um, the higher EQ, and they're able to manage the relationship in a way that they are actually role modeling what a healthy response looks like, um, they can help the other person's EQ also be raised. So, you know, when you say, well, how do you know the relationship isn't working or how, how, when do you decide that, you know, it's time to end it? There is actually no, no certain way. It all depends on at least one person in the relationship being um, more emotionally mature enough to say, okay, I understand why you're reacting the way that you are. And, you know, being creative in how they problem solve, being creative in how they communicate, um, you know, taking a higher road, if you like, and saying, you know, um, how can I role model compassion? How can I role model respect? How can I role model um, an understanding communication? How can I role model acceptance and valuing the other person in a way that they feel understood, they feel heard? So it, it actually only takes one person in the relationship to make the relationship work. And if, the one, if one person is willing to make the relationship better by self-development, it invites the other person to also, by default, respond positively because, you know, that you're not both reacting. You're not both allowing the relationship to deteriorate. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. I think there's kind of um, the personal efforts that you make and correct me if I'm if I'm misunderstanding you in any way. Um, but the personal efforts that you make uh, will hopefully be infectious and, and spread to your partner as well. And that way, the danger of of having values that are perhaps out of balance or no longer match each other anymore is reduced. Is, is that exactly. correct? Exactly. Exactly. Spot on. Yes. Um, because here's the thing: you can't change another person. But when you change your responses, when you change your behavior, it by default changes how the other person responds to you. Mm-hmm. So it's really difficult uh, not to respect someone who loves you. It's really difficult not to like someone back when they do, you know, when they're understanding towards you and they, they take the first step um, in order to show you know, what love means and how they support you and how they care for you and how they, it matters to them how you feel. It matters to them, you know, what you think about things. And what that does is it it just by default, it changes the other person's behavior towards you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I suppose it's kind of like my question would be, and I don't know again if this is the wrong question to ask, is that, you know, when does it actually become irreversible? Like, I know that's a very different point for every individual. Everyone has their own deal breakers and and, and their own compromises that they're not willing to make. But like, 
at what point do does the more emotionally mature person need to step back for themselves? Yes. So there's two cases in which um, the relationship, you know, has no choice but to end. And that's when one person has emotionally left the relationship and they're just not interested in improving it. And the other would be if there's abuse, Um, you know, that's a deal breaker in any case. Because in order to say, you know, I'll change the person, I'll be good enough for them not to abuse anymore, will not work. The other person will need to seek help for themselves in order for things to change. Yeah, I feel like that's the time when a personal growth um, goal really doesn't align um, with with any kind of relationship, really. Like that's a person that needs to to learn by themselves. Absolutely, yeah, and gain help. If, if they do want to rela- remain in the relationship, they do need to seek help and, you know, address why they are the way they are why they are being abusive yeah yeah for sure for sure uh well that brings me to the end of I guess the the main part of our show um I now want to move on to our practice slash habit experiment debrief where uh we deep dive a little into a way that we can take what we've talked about today um and apply it um to practice um in the real world so our show did you have a practice that you have either done yourself or you would like to you have recommended to clients um to help foster their personal growth that will then enhance their relationship compatibility yeah absolutely i would say um working on improving emotional maturity eq that is something that every human being can do if they have enough self-awareness iq is pretty set you know from birth um, you know, a person's IQ, but EQ is something that every human being can develop. And I think, um, first of all, finding out what high functioning, high EQ looks like, and then, um, you know, making an effort to raise your own EQ, which in return actually does cause to raise the EQ of those you are in relationship with such as, you know, letting go of offenses and, you know, forgiving easily and asking for forgiveness easily, Um, you know, caring about relationships more than you care about your own selfish needs. And, you know, there's one thing that I hear quite often is that, you know, I just want to be happy. You know, that's that's my main, I just want to be married and I want to be happy. I want to be in a relationship and I want to be happy. Happiness is a um, funny thing because the more you chase it, the more you lose it. When you discover that happiness is how you contribute to making another person happy, that is how you gain more happiness, that becomes kind of a positive reinforcement instead of a downward spiral. Um, And that is when you discover what true happiness is, is when you discover the happiness of, you know, making someone else happy. How do you, how can I contribute into making the other person's life better? Yeah, exactly. I, I, I just, does apologizing factor into emotional intelligence in any way? I feel like, I, I don't know. I feel like um, apologizing is like one of the hardest things you can do to another person, at least in my experience. Is, is that something that, that you have noticed that people 
struggle to apologize like genuinely? Yeah, it is difficult to apologize, very much so. But here's the thing with emotional maturity is that when you realize or recognize that I'm flawed and every human being is flawed, no one is perfect. And when you accept that, it becomes a lot easier to apologize and also to forgive. So when you accept, when your standards or expectations of people are really low to non-existent, then, you know, whatever good comes out of a relationship, you're just really grateful for it. And when it doesn't measure up to the way you think, you know, they should behave or what they should do or what they shouldn't say, all those things, it's like, oh, of course, you know, I do that too. Um, yeah. I'm, you know, I say the wrong thing. I do the wrong thing. I don't always mean it. Sometimes I mean it, but you know, I shouldn't do it. And just, I think recognizing that we're all flawed is a great step to humbling yourself and, you know, saying that, oh, okay, I did mess up and I'm really sorry. And you, there is such a freedom in that. When you discover it is so freeing to be able to apologize, it's like, it takes a weight off you instead of you know not wanting to apologize and having to defend and you know and quite often what you find is that when you apologize and the other person knows that you are right but you're apologizing anyway quite often they will respond in a way that shows you that you know they know you were right but they just weren't willing to admit it because you know pride often gets in the way <laughs> Of course, of course. How, what's a kind of a practice or a habit um, that someone can do to cultivate emotional intelligence, EQ? I think having realistic expectation of people and yourself, um, you know, recognizing that we are all flawed and starting from that base where when you start from there, then you're not easily offended when people say or do the wrong thing. Um, when you're quick to forgive, it's like, oh, it's okay. That's fine. Even if you meant it, that's okay. I can let go. Um, you know, just you'll find that that's where you gain more peace and joy. It's to be able to let go of things and say, it's fine. You know, you don't have to be perfect. I'm not perfect either. Um, it just takes a really big load off your shoulders in, in, you know, trying to just you know, bring people to justice by punishing them, uh, you know, because they've said or done the wrong thing. It's like just being able to let go and you find that life is more pleasurable that way. Yeah, no, exactly. Is there like a, you know, an exercise people can engage in or like a daily kind of habit that they can do once a day or once a week or something that kind of helps with that at all? Yeah, mentally preparing yourself. (laughs) I think um, you do need to be really mindful because it's so easy. It's so counterintuitive to live that way because our default is that if we're upset, we react. Um, That's our default. So it's completely counterintuitive to get upset and then say, I choose to let go. Mm. So I think just mentally preparing, especially if you're with someone or you're working with someone or you're in a relationship with someone where there are just hard work, um, and, you know, of course, if you're in a relationship, romantic relationship, that does make life a lot more difficult. And it's probably not a good idea to, you know, keep going if that's the way it's always going to be. 
unless you are in it for the long haul and say, you know, I can be the mature one in this relationship and I can help this person heal and grow. Um, if you're strong enough to do that, great. But, you know, m- most people, most of us are not. So it is important to recognize that, you know, when it is hard work, that it's, it is going to wear you down and, you know, it's not going to be ideal for anyone. Yeah. So at the same time, if you're at work with a difficult person, it is important to mentally prepare yourself that, you know, I am going to let go of the things that they say or the things that they do. I'm going to turn the other cheek and pretend I didn't see that or it didn't happen. But at the same time, finding an opportunity to communicate how the other person's actions or words are making you feel. Not in the heat of the moment because they will only get defensive. But, you know, when things are calmer, to just say, you know, the the thing that you said the other day or the thing that you did the other day, this is how it made me feel. And just leave it at that. You're not Mm. criticizing them. You're not judging them. You're just sharing how it's made you feel. And that often, even if they defend themselves, they will go away and think about it. You don't have to wait for them to apologize (laughs) just to make things right straight away because often they won't. But you can bet that they will go away and think about it. Yeah, for sure. I know that, um, you know, I'm not presently in a relationship, but um, my my mother and I, we clash a lot because we are equally stubborn (laughs) and kind of two sides of the same coin. So it's 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 quite it's it's something that happens quite often. And I often find um, when I'm in an argument with her, um, I need to kind of just like remove myself from the situation um and like take however long I need sometimes that might be five minutes sometimes that might be a few hours figure out exactly how I feel why I feel that way and then like go back and try and explain that to her and I know I'm a very temperamental person so it's not very very difficult it takes a lot of effort for me to like actually step away and not going um but I know that it's kind of always resulted in a better outcome whenever I engage that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. It does require a lot of patience, you know, to be patient and to to be creative in how can I approach this differently so that it doesn't lead to the same outcome. Because it's amazing how often we do the same thing and expect it to change, but it doesn't. And we get disappointed. It's like I've been down this road a hundred times before and it's still not changing. So it it is important, yeah, what you're doing is so good that you do step away and think, how else can I approach this? What other ways can I communicate so that they understand or how can I understand them better as to why they are so stuck on this point? Yeah. How do you deal with a partner that perhaps – you know, like I said, we were talking earlier about like a difference um, in EQ, a, p- a partner that perhaps is not quite as inclined and not really at the same level of patience and understanding and, and compassion that you are. So they might perceive you, for example, walking away or, for example, communicating how you feel without judgment. Um, they might perceive that negatively. How, how do you deal with that? Or even, um, you know, take you for granted uh, yeah. is another most common thing that I get told that, you know, what if they take you for granted? Here's the thing, role modeling is the best way to teach a person on how you want, how you are in the relationship and how they 
could be in a relationship because people respond more than, um, you know, they, they respond to your actions. So when you're role modeling, um, you know, an understanding, compassionate attitude towards the other person, it's very difficult to, for them to hate you or be upset with you. But at the same time, you're not pushing down or pushing away or pretending that what they said or did is okay. You are needing to come back and deal with it, talk about it. But in that moment, reacting to it is not going to solve because they're only going to get their defenses up and yeah. they're going to attack in return. So it is important to, um, to address whatever the differences are, but when you're both more calm. And, you know, communicate it, think about how you want to communicate it so that it does come across as understanding, as caring, as kind as possible, saying that, you know, when you do this, this is how it's making me feel and this is why I'm reacting the way that I do. And really being clear about, you know, how their actions and words are making you feel. So it's not about pushing it down, being a doormat, you know, allowing them to take advantage of your good nature. But, you know, you do need to communicate things that what they're doing is upsetting you and being really clear about it. But arguing about it, it never causes someone to say, oh, you're right. You know, I'm glad you told me off. Now I can go and change and I'll never do that again. People don't respond that way. They just defend themselves and offend back. Um, saying, you know, well, you did this and you did that. So in order to break that cycle, it's important to just leave it and then come back and talk about it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. How do you, based on your experience, would you combine this practice with with another one, perhaps, um, that might help make this better? Um, I'm not quite sure what you mean by that. So, like... <laughs> For example, let's say I mean, we were talking generally about, you know, improving your EQ and developing your EQ, but say, for example, it is, we're focusing on this, this example of, you know, taking that break, taking that pause um, and reassessing and reevaluating your feelings when you're, when you're calm and when both, when both parties are calm rather. Um, is there something that you would combine with that specific example to perhaps make that either easier or, or make the most of, of, of its benefits? Well, I can only talk personally in this case, and that is that I find um, praying to be very, very helpful. Um, I find that when I am struggling to remain calm or see things clearly or find a solution to a really difficult situation, I find praying helps a lot that, you know, answers come that I could not have thought of it myself. So that would be my um, supporting, you know, tool, if you like, in any kind of situation, I find prayer helps a lot. Right. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Mm -hmm. um, uh, It it makes you feel less alone, uh, I I suppose. It does, yeah. But, and it also gives you insights into situations that, Sometimes it's not humanly possible to know where it's coming from or what's caused, you know, this situation to arise. And, you know, I just feel that sometimes, you know, my eyes just open. It's like, oh, of course, you know, 
this is what happened and this is why he's now reacting the way that he is. So, yeah, sometimes answers come that I don't, I don't personally feel otherwise it would have been possible to know. Yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. All right, that brings us to the end of our debrief. So thank you so much for sharing all of that with us. Um, definitely something to ponder on and think about um, for sure. I'm going to move on now to our open mic in which I let you kind of have a mini TED talk about whatever you feel is important to chat about right now. Um, and uh, I I may ask a few follow-up questions. I may not. We'll see. Um, but right now it's kind of your, it's your pedestal. So um, Asha, what did, what did you want to talk about to close off the episode? Um, I would love to talk about the need for relationship skills, um, in education, you know, teaching, I believe, especially senior high school students where they are mature enough to understand and relate to relationship challenges and issues as most, um, you know, 17, 18 year olds would already have experienced at some level, um, you know, romantic relationship involvement. I think it's really important for them to have the skills to be equipped for a lifelong of healthy relationships to be taught these relational skills in senior high school years as part of the curriculum. It, it needs to be a mandatory part of the curriculum because um, I come across so many clients who say, you know, they teach you the one, two, threes and the ABCs, but no one really teaches you how to do couple relationship, how to raise kids, what's important. It's like you're thrown into the deep end and you have to learn to swim. And in most cases, it's not until you've been hurt a few times that you begin to learn out of experience what, you know, what works, what doesn't work, what to do, what not to do. And I think it would save a lot of people a lot of heartache if they learned what makes relationships work, how to improve a relationship that's not going well, what skills they need in order for the relationship to continue to improve and eventually become fulfilling and last even a lifetime. Um, so I think it's really important that the education system recognizes the need for this and does um, implement relationship skills in schools. I feel like there's so much that can fall under that umbrella as well. I mean, um, stuff like teaching basic respect. I, I don't think that respect is something that we learn very easily um, in school. Um, and also I think what abuse looks like, I don't, I don't think we're taught enough what abuse looks like and, and how trauma can affect the way we interact with other people. Yeah, absolutely. You're so right. Um, you know, abuse can be so subtle, emotional abuse, mental abuse can be so subtle where the person doesn't even realize that their self-esteem is, you know, slowly being diminished to the point where they, you know, lose more and more of themselves and become more and more reliant on their partner. So I think absolutely those things need to be talked about. And what is, you know, the damages of obsessive kind of, you know, love where, Quite often, people think it's you know a compliment when the other person doesn't want them to have their own friends. That they you know they just want to keep them to themselves. They don't want you interacting with you know others. And I think they don't realize that 
you know, that person is in the relationship for themselves. They're not in it for your, they don't care about your happiness. So I think it's really important. There's some really tough subjects that need to be talked about so that people become more aware and are able to recognize flags, you know, when they see them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's so true. I, I think, you know, we, we get, um, we get kind of like sex ed in school, but alongside that, I, I think like relationships and how we actually interact with other people yeah, is, is yeah. equally important. Yeah. On, on a day-to-day -day basis, it's like, you know, it's interesting that you say respect. It's like all respect goes out the window as soon as you have an argument when you're in a relationship, especially when you're in a committed relationship. It's like respect goes out the window. Communication skills go out the window. And, you know, emotions take over. And, you know, learning to recognize that most relationships do go through, you know, you know, predominantly three phases. You know, there's the forming phase, then comes the storming phase, and then comes the norming phase. Um, as, you know, Tucker had um, researched and found is that most relationships, they give up or get stuck in the storming phase where all the differences are being surfaced, you know, the rose-colored glasses come off um, and you're dealing with the day-to-day -day issues of being in a relationship with another human being. And it's like how to navigate through that difficult time and actually come out the other end better than before instead of allowing the relationship to deteriorate. Yeah, and there yeah. are specific skills that do that. And I have found that, you know, Christianity has the blueprint for relationships when it says to let go of issues and you know, um, like turn the other cheek doesn't necessarily mean um, turn a blind eye to an abusive behavior. It, it just means that there are instances where you just need to let go of something that's really not that important when you think about in the bigger scheme of things and how to communicate your needs in a way that the other person is more able to receive it rather than defend themselves over it. Um, you know, I think these things are really important skills to develop in any relationship. It could be a workplace, it could be your own, you know, original family relationships or romantic relationships. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, for sure. No, um, all of that was really wonderful. And thank you for sharing um, that with us, Usher. Um, where can people in our audience find you? Uh, they can visit my website, grassrootsapproach.com.au. Um, my practice is in Sydney's Northern Beaches, as I said, inside counselling. So, um, yeah, I'd love to hear from you if you have any questions or feedback or comments. I welcome it all. I consider everything self-development as part of it. So, yeah, I do um, welcome feedbacks of any kind. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. I've had such a great time talking to you. Thank you, Aditi. You've been listening to Reliscope, the Relationship Science Insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Lab. For more episodes like this from 10 different life management perspectives, search LMSL on YouTube, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts, so you can get updated on everything we have to offer. We have a wide range of topics readily available for you to check out. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating our show, sharing it, and subscribing to our channel, as it helps us grow and bring you more quality resources. More of our work can be found at re.lmsl.net, where you can join our movement. I'm Aditi Kuti. Thanks for tuning in.